Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools are here on 3CR at 12 noon every Saturday. Without fail, you might notice even over the Christmas New Year period. And here we are in the new year. And it's a very interesting new year. Uh, The Chinese curse, of course, interesting times. But uh, we've got quite a full program for you today. We have our press release 873 which is um, going to America. Everything seems to to gravitate towards America, unfortunately. But um, we discovered that under the cloak of uh, COVID, over there in America, the private schools have been uh, getting massive amounts of public money. And um, then Dale is going to tell us about the epidemic that Australia is failing to control. It's an article by Parsi Salberg from Finland, who is with the Gonski Institute at the University of New South Wales. And we have not Oliver today, but Maddie. <laughs> Maddie is going to tell us about a, a ducks abdor from Dandenong, a good news story, a very good news story. And Dale is going to continue uh, with that. Uh, there were a lot of letters to the paper and I'll be commenting on other children who have done exceptionally well in this terrible year of COVID from our state schools. Um, as well as that, we're then going to go off to England and Matt is going to tell us about the revolt by the teachers in England. Uh, the schools have been finally closed down, but they wanted to open them and put the teachers as well as the nurses in the front line of the plague. And uh, Dale will finish our program with a, a very interesting article uh, about Mark Latham, who is actually having much more influence than he should on the education department in New South Wales. But let's get on with the program now. State aid to private schools in America is getting given under the cloak of the COVID. Last spring, when the pandemic began crippling the economy in America, Congress passed a $2.2 trillion CARES Act the Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act. It was a rare moment of bipartisan action in the Congress and the Senate. Included in the Act was the Paycheck Protection Program, which offered $660 billion to help small businesses weather an economic catastrophe in which many would be forced to close their doors and lay off their employees. The PPP, that's the Paycheck Protection Program, enabled these businesses to pay their employees and survive the pandemic. We had a similar um, program here in, in Australia. However, in the inevitable lobbying, someone added non-profits to the list of organisations eligible to receive government aid under this PPP. It was a little bit like it was in Australia, where the Catholic universities and the uh, private schools got the um, JobKeeper program, but the public universities did not, and neither did the public schools. Now, the PPP grants are called loans, but they're forgivable if they're used for payroll, rent, heating and other expenses. 
so it's very unlikely that they will ever be repaid. The public schools, as here in Australia, were not eligible to apply for the PPP because they received a fund of $13.2 billion, which they were required to share with charter schools, which are private schools. Charter schools, however, were eligible to apply uh, for the PPP as non-profits as well, so they could double-dip. So they double-dipped into both funds. And over 1,200 charter schools got very generous payments, with some collecting more than $1 million each. The average public school throughout America received 134500 from this Act. But if you actually look at what the non-profits got, you'll see that they got between 250000 and there's not too many of them, and $7.5 million. So the private and the religious schools flocked to the PPP and collected far more than any public school. An organisation called the Good Jobs First created a website called the COVID Stimulus Watch to see who got the money. And they estimated that the private, religious and charter schools collected nearly $6 billion from the PPP, about six times more per school than public schools. And um, Maddie will follow on from there. Yes, that's right and shocking. While the federal PPP was scooped up by charter schools, schools and religious schools, more than 110,000 restaurants closed, ending the employment and income of many hundreds of thousands of employees, while wiping out the life savings of thousands of owners. To understand how incredibly generous the Treasury Department is um, was in handing out PPP money to private and religious schools, you should review the list of grants that are attached, representing awards in four states. New York, Massachusetts, Ohio and Michigan. We would be stunned to see the amounts collected by religious schools and elite private schools. And the data were collected by Melissa Chang of Good Jobs First. The figures provided to religious schools, Roman Catholic, Jewish, Islamic and Evangelical, are mouth-watering. Public schools averaged only 134,000 and private school grants ranged from 250000 to $7.5 million. So, for the current American politicians, private schools are obviously worth a great deal more than public institutions. Yes, and if you go to our website at www.adogs.info and you look at our press release 873, you can check out for yourselves what kind of money these private schools, religious schools in New York, Massachusetts, Ohio and Michigan actually got. They certainly are mouth-watering. But we'll have a break now and then uh, Dale's going to come back and tell us what Parsi Salberg has to say about the Australian situation. You can see that this country is covered in the blood of Aboriginal people and the length and breadth of it. Australia is a part of an undeclared war and a secret invasion. And it began 250 years ago this year. Now we have a country that's built on lies, deceit, fraud, propaganda and race hatred indoctrination. Now it's been 250 years of us being oppressed in our own land, brutally 
We might be oppressed, but we understand what freedom is. And we fight for it every day. And we've resisted this occupation since day one. And I predict colonialism, capitalism, imperialism is going to get knocked out cold by about mid this year. Tricia, your station in struggle and solidarity. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. For an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription, you can now set up an annual debit from your bank account for credit card, and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time, and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe well this is the dogs program Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools and uh, we're all obsessed I suppose with who's got the COVID the, the pandemic who hasn't got it what is happening whether we're going to be closed down whether the borders are going to be closed and what's going to happen, when when we're going to get the vaccine. But the epidemic has exposed other epidemics, particularly an education epidemic. Mm. And um, while we may be leading the health pandemic recovery, and Australia's not a bad place to be at the moment, it seems like Australia has an education epidemic which it's actually not treating very effectively. But over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got Passy Salberg's article here, The Epidemic Australia is Failing to Control. Australia has been ranked among the best places in the world to be during the coronavirus pandemic and the best country to move to after this pandemic is over, according to international media. These accomplishments are not by chance. They're a result of a particular way to deal with the most dangerous global health crisis of the century. The key theory of managing the coronavirus is simple. Go strong early on with prevention and insist on active testing, contact tracing and isolating possible infections. Making the decision to act this way was not a political or ideological, was not political or ideological, but based on the best available evidence and advice from epidemiologists and public health experts. While we may be leading the health pandemic recovery, it seems like Australia has an education epidemic it is not treating effectively. Two decades ago, Australia was one of the leading education nations in the world. The OECD, for example, used to hold Australia as one of the best in class in education, but not any longer. Despite frequent school reforms, educational performance has not been improving. Indeed, it's been in decline compared to many other countries. International data makes that clear. Australian Council for Educational Research concluded 
it by saying that student performance in Australia has been in long-term decline. The OECD statistics reveal system-wide prevalence of inequity that, has, that is boosted by education resource gaps between Australian schools that are, amongst, that are among the largest in the world. And UNICEF has ranked Australia's education among the most unequal in rich countries. Often, the inspiration for the education reforms in Australia are imported from the US and Britain. Yet, the evidence base to support many of these grand policy changes here is weak or non-existent. For example, research shows that market-based models of school choice, test-based accountability and privatisation of public education have been wrong strategies for world-class education elsewhere. Yet, market models have been the cornerstone of Australian school policies since the early 2000s. So what, what should we do instead? Success in fighting the ongoing health pandemic is a result of systematically relying on the best available science and expert knowledge to maximise the effectiveness of treatments while minimising their side effects. We should follow that same principle in education too. Simply staggering. New South Wales students fall months behind due to COVID-19. Evidence-based education policies use research to link selected treatment and expected outcomes, but they almost always ignore poss possible harmful side effects they may have on schools, teachers or children. Take NAPLAN, for example. Those who advocate the necessity of national standardised testing regimes back their views by positive consequences of high-stakes testing while ignoring the associated risks that research has exposed. Narrowing curriculum, teaching to the tests and declining student motivation, just to mention some. Education and health are important contributors to a better life. During the coronavirus pandemic, we have seen what evidence-based public health policies look like. But unlike medicine, education oper operates on the basis of ideology, politics and consensus. We see the inconvenient consequences of that in national statistics and international education indicators. In early December, Australia's plans of having a homegrown COVID-19 vaccine were ruined when the University of Queensland research team found that participants in phase one trials tested weekly positive on HIV tests. These detected side effects made Prime Minister Morrison terminate a billion dollar deal with the UQ and look for safer options to treat the coronavirus pandemic. If education was like medicine, many controversial education policies, including NAPLAN, my school and school funding models, would have been terminated during trial phases due to harm they do to teaching and learning. If we've learned anything in 2020, it is that we need to learn to act in education more like we act in medicine. We should stop claiming that there's an extensive evidence base behind suggested educational treatments like the school success model without being sure about their possible side effects to children's learning. More importantly, 
it is unfair to expect schools to base their pedagogical decisions on solid evidence unless the policies behind these expectations are based on the best available science and professional practice. And Thanks, uh, Dan. That was, um, that was in the uh, Fairfax Press and uh, there were a lot of very positive comments, weren't there? The nozzle said, you make a good point, Parsi. Ultimately, the federal government only acted on COVID health science because to not do so would impact the science of money, that's the economy, which is the prime concern of the current government. And Beatrice had a really interesting idea. She compared, or she thought, that the aviation model was an interesting one. You might like to tell us about that. Yes, uh, Beatrice said, I think aviation is a better model than moribund medicine. Medicine has an outgoing probability with, has an outgoing problem with cultural change and a nasty habit of making excuses for failure, be it through an inability for high status doctors to admit mistakes and a seemingly intractable culture of working newbies to death. Nurses, of course, are still exploited and the gender imbalance is about the same as when Flo Nightingale swung a thermometer. This situation could be improved, but reactionary factors, inertia and plain sexism won't have it. There is no rational reason. Highly hierarchical, like education, medicine finds anything remotely new as a challenge to its authority. Ditto education. Now, when a plane, let's say, fails, scrupulous analysis occurs. Strangely, ideology rarely comes into play. The idea is fix the problem. No one is above investigation and the cause of the fail is found and fixed or at least mitigated. Win-win. Unlike education or medicine, the culture of blame is not as ingrained and pilots work with specifically trained engineers to achieve a professional and rational improvement. And look at the results. One of the safest industries around. Incredibly safe and constantly open to all improvements with very little, well, we've always had great great results with the biplane. Clearly customers might object to one wing. No, people who know make the decisions not Joe Blow, who wants young Jimbo to get a good job and no nonsense. And now look at medicine or education. Bogged down with armchair philosophers, ideologically driven, the nonsense phonic victory, being a point in case we win, you lose. Then the shock jockish insistence on education being a competition for success in one exam pitting school against school, commodifying schools as if they were brands of cars. Deary me. She makes a good I think point. That's a comparison. Yeah. Very interesting. It, yeah, it's it, it helps to point out, you know, that it's not uh, ideological. You know, it, it shouldn't mm. be. It shouldn't be an ideological issue. Well, the ghost of Hitch uh, thinks it's uh, even even uh, uh, more economics. Um, it all comes down to investment, she says. The Liberal government uses taxes to subsidise people's investment properties, pay a portion of their private health insurance and subsidise expensive schools. 
it's only ever Labor governments that invest in public education. Mm. Well, I don't know about that. They also invest in private education too. The private sector has got them always on the run. The Liberals don't care about Aboriginal standards, providing their own kids have a subsidised education, healthcare and a tax-free inheritance. And Candy says this. Um, Candy said, how is it fair that hundreds of thousands of students have no home internet connection or the devices need to be connected? In fact, the most basic educational needs of over one million students cannot be met by their parents. Why then is federal money being directed to the provision of new athletic tracks, swimming pools and other excessive capital works programs in so-called independent schools? The lack of fairness in existing policy settings is breathtaking. Bravo. Agreed. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes. Sandman says the problem we have with the LNP IPA profession is that they're all for businesses and nothing for health. Always have, always will, end of story. Mm-hmm. We can live in hope that one day it will change, but his breath won't last that long. Well, um, I think it's terrific that we have these articles being written and that people feel free and are free to uh, write in these letters. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back to um, an even more interesting good news story from (laughs) Maddie. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. Uh, back with the dogs, I have a very interesting article from The Age written by Adam Carey entitled Less Than Three Years After Fleeing Terror, Abdul is Ducks of Dandenong. Um, an ATAR of 97.15 is a stellar result for any VCE student, ranking them in the top 3% in the state. For Abdul Basit, a Pakistani Hazara who arrived in Australia as a refugee two and a half years ago, it is doubly extraordinary. I was flabbergasted, I'm not going to lie, he said. I wasn't expecting a score near that, but I really did give my best and I'm really happy about it. So he should be. Abdul could barely complete year 10 and we will go into that story right now. Dandenong High School Ducks, Abdul Basit. In May 2018, his family fled Quetta, his strife-torn city of birth near the Afghan border. Quote, it was pretty harsh there. There were acts of terrorism every month, so it was dangerous. My father thought this isn't what I had planned for my kids, he said. 
They landed in Sydney and by August Abdul, his mother and brothers had joined their father in Melbourne's southeast and he had enrolled at Dandenong High, one of the city's most diverse and disadvantaged schools. Abdul's school in Quetta taught many of its subjects in English, but adapting to a Western education still presented challenges, including a language barrier. But in many ways, Abdul fitted straight in. Roughly one in four students at the large government school is an asylum seeker or refugee, while 91% of its 1,600 students have a non-English speaking background, speaking more than 70 languages. Abdul was struck by the ethnic diversity of his new school. I never really noticed that I was in an Australian school because there were so many students from different cultural backgrounds, he said. I think that's so beautiful. The vibe, he said, at Dandenong, as Abdul put it, was supportive and welcoming. During lockdown, teachers and students did what they could to help each other. It's a great school. They really helped me financially and mentally, he said. The school had a rough run in 2020, including a three-week shutdown early in Melbourne's second wave, when staff and several VCU students were infected with COVID-19. Dandenong High School principal Susan Ogden said the spread of the virus through the school community and the shift to online learning created anxiety among VCE students, who worried about when they would be able to return to classes. Many could not get to their school lockers to access study materials during the shutdown and lost weeks of learning time. Many also live in small homes with large families and struggled to find a quiet working space. But they were also resilient and eager to stay connected with the school, which provided laptops and internet dongles to about 600 students, Ms Ogden said. Overall, our students have been remarkable. Their attendance online and then when we return has been the best it's been for years, she said. Well, wasn't that a lovely story? And it got a lot of, a lot of response. Um, ten, tens and, you know, lots and lots of, of letters. And there were some of letters actually got into the Age newspaper. Uh, Marilyn Green, oh sorry, Mar- Mar- Mary Sear, Green of Hawthorne East said, we need people like Abdul. What a delight to read of Abdul Bassett. When his family came here less than three years ago as refugees, he had no English and he's now ducks of Dandenong with an ATAR of 97.15. He's modest and charming in expressing gratitude for the great education he received with support from teachers and fellow students. He's intelligent, hard-working and determined, so I really hope he gets the scholarship he needs to be able to study science at university. And this is actually extraordinary. This boy can't get hex because he is not yet a, 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 um, a citizen of Australia. And yet we need these people. As a quarter of his schoolmates were also refugees or asylum seekers, it makes you wonder why a particular group who arrived by boat, not plane, years ago continued to be treated so harshly, locked up indefinitely in camps or detention places and denied education, employment or hope. Uh, Adil is one of the lucky ones. 
he's actually here, he's actually in education, but there are people who don't have those opportunities that we are still keeping locked up. It's grave injustice. Yes, and many of them would also make terrific Australian citizens just like Abdul will. So everybody is hoping that he gets a scholarship. Uh, But that shouldn't be a question. He should be allowed to go straight on to university and become a citizen of Australia uh, and all the young people like him. But um, Dale has got some other letters that she would like to refer to. But we'll have a break first. When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon is the only light we'll see No, I won't be afraid Oh, I won't be afraid Just as long as you stand Stand by me been uh, talking about a really good news story and proof of what our public system can do uh, for those people who have no choice but to go to a public system. They can do as well as anybody else because our public school teachers and our public schools are really that good even though the um, government 
doesn't give them the resources that the big private schools have. So um, Dale has got a few more letters uh, that were sent in, and um, I've got a few interesting articles in our newspaper about what other state school children have been doing in the last year. Thank you, Jean. Yes, back to Abdul uh, being ducked of Dandenong, which is just so fantastic. Uh, Helen has written in and said, a brilliant result, Abdul. I hope to hear that you are successful in a scholarship or that one of our rich Australian companies will fund your studies. I am so sorry that you are unable to get HEX. Sometimes I am ashamed of our government. Well done. Neil says, as a former DHS student, 50 years on, I congratulate Abdul and wish him well in the future. In my final year, a classmate topped the state in physics. Another went on to become a mathematical physicist and taught at Oxford University. Good luck, Abdul. Fate, fortune and your school may well be with you. Peter joins in and says, what a great story. Abdul certainly deserves to be commended for his efforts. It is pleasing that his perseverance has been rewarded with such outstanding results. I think that Ms Ogden and the staff at Dandenong High School also deserve great praise. It must be an outstanding school. I certainly hope Abdul receives a scholarship and with those results, I believe he will. Although I don't understand why he is not eligible for HEX assistance like any other student. And then T. Wood says, his permanent, quote, his permanent re resident visa prohibits him from taking out a hex loan, end quote. This is crazy. We need to invest in our young people and prepare them for the challenges of our evolving economy. Locking a cohort of students out of university is just going to breed disadvantage and waste talent and potential. Congratulations to you, Abdul. Yes, well, uh, very interesting. Uh, but um, we've also got some other very, very interesting articles that appeared in The Age, and I think we should be grateful that The uh, the Age does tell us about state schools because uh, I'm not sure the Australian would. <laughs> Mr Murdoch is only interested in, in the, uh, the brilliant young students who are uh, in the wealthy private schools. Uh, but... There's a, one school which did a lot of work this year, the virtual school, which is a state school. And there's an interesting um, article on December the, the 24th, it was. Uh, there was a profoundly deaf student, Carolyn Ferris. And the hardest part of completing year 12 during the coronavirus pandemic were the masks. Um, she found it very difficult and stressful to interact with people due to mandatory wearing of face masks, as this prevented her from lip-reading and understanding facial expressions. But she got through with the help of the um, virtual school, even though she lives in a very remote um, remote um, location, and uh, she could do uh, one of... She was one of 120 students at one of the state's most remote schools, Swifts Creek, P-12 school in East Gippsland. And she completed her studies. She travelled six hours to Melbourne to sit her Auslan 
interactive sign exam. So she too needs to be um, congratulated. Australia is in good hands when we realise that there are these young people who are so determined and have done so well. Now, there was an awful lot of talk about who were the best schools, who got the highest results. But the results were very, very interesting when it came down to individual subjects. The best VCE schools by subjects were revealed and they were public schools very much uh, in, in the offing here, uh, as well as private schools. And the most interesting one was Frankston High School, uh, where the students, with 21 students achieving English subject scores of 40 or above, was honoured with the same number of top scores as the prestigious campuses of Ballarat, Gavin, St Leonard's and St Paul's. And why did they do this? The Frankston High Principal John Alberson conceded lockdown possibly enhanced their results because teachers would differentiate between students and follow up online and they'd record themselves so that students could go back and watch those sessions and they were able to give a lot of regular and quick feedback, he said. And for this reason, quieter students were more prepared to speak up on the online chat. He said the school planned to keep recorded lectures which students could turn back to during revision and they were going to continue with Google Teams so teachers and students were more readily connected and communication wasn't limited to the class period. Very interesting. The public system can adapt and it does adapt. The other school that was very, very interesting indeed was um, the Albert, the not Albert Park, but um, the Mount Alexander School, which was very disadvantaged and very run down. And it did, the students there, like Dandenong High, they come from House Mission and from many, many parts of disadvantaged parts of the world. They did exceptionally well. So um, congratulations to our public school students who have put in such an effort in this last terrible year. But we'll have a bit of a break now and we'll be back going across to see what's happening in England. Well, brothers and sisters, what a show of strength we've got here today. Local issues. So I'm here at the school kids strike for climate action. Live coverage. Join the, the spirit of this gathering here today at IMAR. Your voices. Can you give us a bit of a lowdown about what's happening? There's about 200, 250 people here at the moment. Community struggles. We're now in front of the uh, Tundaminuaya Mōbōhina Monument. I'd like to thank Community Radio 3CR, who for the last decade has been broadcasting here. Feed Radical Radio. Your membership is vital. A few hundred people about to pass us right now. Lots of young people standing up for their future. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. You're listening to the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools 
and we're off now to England. Uh, the schools, everybody is in lockdown in England because uh, they are in really big, big trouble. But uh, their Prime Minister was quite prepared to send the children back to school after Christmas and the teachers themselves decided that this was a no-go. But uh, Maddie will tell us what they did. Yeah, this is an article from The Guardian and it's written by Donna Ferguson entitled COVID Fears Spark Revolt by Unions Over Return to School in England. Head teachers take legal action against government as UK's largest teaching union says members should not go back. The Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, has already announced a U-turn over the reopening of primary schools in London and areas of the South where infection rates are high. The government faces a major revolt from teachers and head teachers over its plans to reopen schools. Head teachers began legal action against the Department for Education on Saturday in an attempt to force ministers to reveal why they think it's safe to reopen schools on Monday. Given the higher transmissibility of the new COVID-19 variants, particularly among children. The National Association of Head Teachers and the Association of School and College Leaders have instructed lawyers to write to the government, giving it until 4pm on Monday to share any information and scientific data that suggests it is safe for schools to return. The NAHT also plans to issue guidance to head teachers which will recommend they take no action against staff who refuse to return to work because they feel it is unsafe. Unions representing teachers and support staff have called for remote learning. In a letter to the Education Secretary, the NASUWT General Secretary, Dr Patrick Roach, states it is the only sensible and credible option at this time to minimise the risks to those working in schools and to safeguard public health. On Saturday, Brighton and Hove City Council advised primary schools to delay reopening and teach remotely until the 18th of January and has written to Williamson asking to be included in the schools allowed to remain online only. The GMB said the differing arrangements across higher tiers was a dangerous recipe for chaos and was causing additional stress for parents, pupils and support staff. Well... Since then, of course, um, they've had to backtrack and everybody is in lockdown mm. because the UK is in big, big trouble because they didn't go early and hard. Uh, but um, we'll see what happens. And all power to the unions in the United Kingdom because teachers matter and so do our students and so do our parents. But uh, we'll have a bit of a break, and Dale has got a very interesting uh, tale of Mark Latham and how uh, the um, his his party are just uh, well, the right wing in Australia is just punching way, way, way beyond its uh, its real power, voting power. A very interesting article by Jane Carrow. But we'll have a bit of a break and over to Dale. Do you need to renew your subscription? Make a donation. Or pass on some information to a programmer. We can't get to the phone all the time right now, but we're still here. You can call us on 03 9419 8377 each weekday between 1 and 5pm and talk to a staff member. 
at 03 9419 8377. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. We're proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit! Our education is not for profit! You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Well, uh, you're listening to The Dogs program, the Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools, and over to Dale, who's going to tell us what's been going on up in New South Wales. Okay, thank you, Jean. Yes, I've got the article by Jane Caro here titled, Is Mark Latham Running Education Policy in New South Wales? No, but the direction is concerning. Education is too important to be left to fringe politicians with ideological barrows to push. When you ask knowledgeable professionals, like teachers, to implement programs they they know do not work, the result is demoralisation. Last week, Mark Latham tweeted that it had, quote, been a good end to 2020 for New South Wales One Nation Schools policy, end quote. He listed a policy checklist of achievement, which includes a mandatory year one phonics check, a clean out of the New South Wales Education Standard Authority's 42,000 professional development courses, a new earned autonomy policy for struggling schools, and the introduction of the Teach for Australia program, which fast-tracks people into the teaching profession. If you take his tweet at face value, you could be forgiven for thinking that one of for thinking one of the largest public education systems in the world is now run by one nation. Of course, that's what politicians do. They're quick to take credit whether they deserve it or not. But the policy shifts he was gloating about are real and represent a right turn in New South Wales education policy that has come as a shock to many who work in the sector. Synthetic phonics is at the core of the long-running reading wars. And while all teachers agree phonics, decoding words, should be part of learning to read, as the be-all and end-all, its effectiveness is hotly disputed. The 42,000 courses were providing the 100 mandatory hours of professional development teachers must do over five years to maintain their accreditation. And earned autonomy, a reference to the government's school success model means the highest performing organisations, in this case schools, earn less central control than those judged to be less successful. This idea, understandably, makes principles of tough schools very uneasy. 
even if Latham is not running education policy per se, that is still the domain of the Berejiklian government and Education Minister Sarah Mitchell, he has certainly ascended to a position of real influence. Following his election to the State Parliament last year, he was appointed Chair of the Upper House Education Committee, leading a review of school performance earlier this year and writing the report himself, breaking with tradition. Some of these changes, such as the school success model policy, are very similar to what was proposed in that report. One Nation won just 6.9% of the vote and two upper house seats in the last New South Wales state election, hardly a mandate for deciding the direction of schools. Latham's influence is also one that does not bode well for our secular and inclusive public school system. The former Labor leader is particularly exercised about gender fluidity and worried about teachers in public schools being supportive of students who are trans or gender diverse. His glee at deregistering the 42,000 professional accreditation courses is the result. Apparently, some of them are designed to help teachers deal compassionately and effectively with students struggling with their gender identity. Now, only the Department of Education, the Catholic Education System and the Independent Schools Association will be accredited to deliver professional learning for teachers. Latham has also introduced a parental rights bill banning teachers and staff from teaching about gender fluidity, which is not due to be debated until 2021, but already been described as an extreme attack on the transgender community. David Brown, CEO of the Professional Teachers Council, says his organisation was blindsided by the government's changes. We provide over 800 professional development courses designed by teachers for teachers. We have never had a single course rejected and now we've had all of them deregistered literally overnight. Principals have also recently been given briefings by the department about the new school success model. The model sorts schools into supposedly successful and unsuccessful ones and requires schools to set targets for student response and receive support if they fail to reach them. New South Wales Education Minister Sarah Mitchell says the reforms announced over the last month were all flagged earlier in the year and stakeholders were consulted with, with it at length. But principals I have spoken to have complained that so far it is light on details. As Bryony Scott, principal of the private girls' school Winona and coincidentally wife of the Department of Education Secretary Mark Scott tweeted the, the night Latham celebrated his triumph, if a politician with no expertise wants to change education and if educational bodies that set standards for schools and teachers lets that happen, then these are political, not educational decisions. Schools and teachers are not accountable for other people's point scoring, just education. She is right. New South Wales and Australia in general have a history of not just setting educational policy for political rather than educational reasons, but of repeatedly taking on programs such as NAPLAN and MySchool 
from overseas only after they have failed comprehensively. Mitchell believes these latest reforms are different, however. There is an extensive, an extensive evidence base behind the school success model, which will scale best practice across the system and provide struggling schools with additional support to help them lift outcomes. Feedback from teachers on the trial phonics screening check is that it is helping teach children to read and identifying those who cannot sooner. She goes on to emphasise at the end of the day, this reform is not aimed at professors, special interest groups or conservative stakeholders. It is about students. It seems the essential argument is perhaps just how best to serve those students. Craig Peterson, President of the New South Wales Secondary Principals Council, says that what educators want from our political leaders is, well, political leadership. We want them to set the broad direction of education, but to leave the details to the profession. We want effective practice, not populist practice. Professor Adrian Pickley of the U of UNSW, Gonski Institute, who was the New South Wales Minister for Education who introduced the Gonski reforms, said he refused to implement elements of Latham's checklist when he was minister, such as Teach for Australia program, because the evidence did not support them. Professor Passi Salberg, previously of the famed Finnish education system, now also with the UNSW Gonski Institute, points out that we have 20 years of research proving that punitive accountability measures simply do not work and that performance targets using standardised testing, hello year one phonics test, are also completely out of date. When the Department of Education comes out with the claim that schools make evidence-based decisions, it would be nice if they did the same, he said, sounding exasperated. New South Wales may be one of the most successful education systems in the world at adopting failed ideas. Worse, as Peterson points out, when you ask knowledgeable professionals, such as teachers, to implement programs they know do not work, the result is demoralisation. Yet, despite everything, educators still manage to bypass the nonsense and New South Wales public education continues to do well. Despite comprehensive changes in our schools, NAPLAN results have improved, our international rankings in maths and science have gone up, more kids sit the HSC than ever, and more of them achieve bands five and six. As Bryony Scott suggested, education is too important to be left to fringe politicians with, an ideolo with ideological barrows to push. Let's give the last word to Andreas Schleicher, head of PISA itself. If education systems knew what principals know, they'd all be so much better. We're very lucky in public school principals. It's public school principals uh, like Chris Bonner and others who have set up the Save Our Schools website. And uh, the dogs get a lot of very, very good information from that website. We're very, very, uh, very, very, very uh, grateful. Very yes. grateful. Yeah, grateful is exactly the word. Thank you, Maddie, uh, to these educators. And that's it for today.
it's time to say goodbye and we will be back with you next Saturday at 12 again. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to find out some more about us, uh, visit our website at www.adogs.info. Bye for now. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.